My Life Now is a half-hour podcast show which regularly features reviews of new releases and all-time classics of both traditionally published and self-published books. Tune in for special guest interviews and, of course, helpful tips to not only write your next book, but also to help market it. My Life Now is most often referred to as a great way for authors to get quality exposure and avid readers to discover their next read. Without further delay, here's another stimulating episode of My Life Now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of My Life Now. I'll be your co-host, Etro York. I'm excited to have our an author with us today by the name of uh, Katrina. And um, we're going to be talking about her book, When Will the Night Be Starry? Uh, Katrina, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, um, I was in a past life an infection control nurse and uh, started writing my book during the pandemic and completed it afterwards. Uh, it's a book I'd been thinking about for a long time because I'd lived in Crete for a while when I was young and had uh, spent a lot of time there and done quite a lot of research about the area. Um, and I uh, now live on Anglesey in Wales. I'm excited to be able to hear your background from Creed. I've never, um, I've never really looked into it myself, but man, that title, When Will the Night Be Starry? It just kind of um, gives you this vibe of like, man, a longing, um, waiting for something better. Um, what inspired you to, um, to write this book? When I first arrived in Crete, it was at a time where there were people who were still alive, who had lived through the occupation of the Nazis and the Italians in the Second World War. So I was fortunate enough to be able to sit around in coffee bars talking to old ladies. They probably were my age now, but I thought they were very old back then. And they would tell me the stories of what it had been like then. And... Uh, I also lived in Rome for a while, and they told me this, their stories too. Um, and I just thought there was a place to put this information. You know, perhaps a book should be written to put all the information in. Um, and also included in the book is stories about the leper colony, uh, Spinalonga, which was also a very fascinating story and a place that I had a villa that looked over it. So I had lots of thoughts about that. Um, and eventually pulled them all together into one story. So you would say that's what drew you to the historical setting of Crete, or is it just your own upbringing? Yeah, well, I wasn't raised there. I was from Cheshire in England, um, from a little market town where there wasn't really a great deal of interest in history. It was where Elizabeth Gaskell was from, but that was that was it really, and Dick Turpin, the highwayman. So when I went to this place that was absolutely dripping with history just even in the last hundred years then you went back to the Ottoman Empire occupation and uh, the stories of antiquity Knossos and the Minoan civilization there was just so much there uh, it was begged it was begging to have a book written about it mm-hmm. so how were you able to to pull those things from that setting in order to uh, you know when it comes to your research and uh, approaching, mm-hmm. approaching, depicting the uh, the period of Crete's history. I, it's it's very odd to say this, but I I have heard other writers say, it, and it is how it was for me, that I had all the ideas in my head. I had stories of people who, um, for example, one of my friends back in the eighties 
had been born on Spinalonga. His parents were lepers and he'd been brought to the mainland. Um, and I had stories of people from the war, even my own parents' stories, because they were of that age as well. And when I sat down to write the book, the characters just kind of started living their lives in front of me. And I was just the scribe, really, writing it all down. How interesting. Um, it sounds like a lot of traveling, finding a place to settle. And is that just, is that a part of the culture more so? Or uh, do you have a lot of people that are from different places? Yes. Um, well, I wanted to bring into it the story of the massacres that happened in Greece, especially on the island of Crete. Of Crete. I think they happened everywhere uh, that the, the Germans were. But to do that, it the island end of the island where Spinalonga was was occupied by the Italians, and they did not do things like that. So I needed to bring in the other end of the island, which gave me the idea for the two families. And to bring them together, I wanted to write about women and how they <clears throat> come together in difficult times when the men are, men are away doing the fighting. Um, and so that was a very good link for me. It, it worked very well. Um, the hardest part was getting the family that were on the um, west end of the island to the family in the east end of the island in a time where there were hardly any roads and no transport. Um, but fortunately, I have lots of friends in in Crete, and one of them showed me a picture of his grandfather on a boat, and he did boat trips, and that's how people got to places. Uh, we're so used to cars, but yeah, they they travelled on little boats and got around the island like that. Yes, um, so specifically in this story, how um, how can would you dim how did you demonstrate the resilience and the perseverance when when they were facing these ad, ad adversities? Um, I think everything was from really from the minute the book starts and the Luftwaffe are coming over the heads of the women and dropping parachutes, which is how they occupied the island of Crete. From that moment, they are living in terror, their lives aren't their own and they are in adversity. So everything they do they are responding to those dangers and they have children. And so they have responsibilities to protect those children as well. And they find that resilience in each other because that's really all they've got. They've only really got each other. They've got no money. They've got no vehicles. They're half the time they've got no roads, no food. It's really, really hard for them. And so they learn to rely on each other. But I do think that is part of the culture in, in Greece, but especially in Crete, I've spent more time in Crete than other parts of Greece, but it's part of their culture in that for a lot, for hundreds of years, they were occupied by the Ottomans as well. So there is, um, in the book, we mentioned the men, you know, whispering freedom and or death, which was a thing, a saying that they had all through the Ottoman Empire. So another occupation, it was just more of the same to them. They had stories in their families of people who had, you know, suffered in the other occupation. So adversity was something that was not uncommon to them. Interesting. Man, it sounds, man, it sounds like an excellent book. I can't wait to get my own uh, <laughs> copy and, and read through it. When it comes to the relationships within the story, what perspective do you give on that? I think probably the, for me, the most interesting relationship and the one that, I started out with in my head 
was the one between Fedra and Alex, the British archaeologist. And Fedra was a, um, a Greek woman from the village at the west end of the island. Um, their coming together was a very unusual thing because it wasn't just about a clash of cultures. <clears throat> it was a clash of, of classes as well, because he was from a very aristocratic family where there were expectations of him. And she was barely educated. She, there were, her only expectations for, of her in her life was to marry and have children. She had married and she had got children, but her husband you know, was not the man she had thought he was. And she was very unhappy. He was quite brutal at times and he'd had a brutal childhood himself. And then this relationship that she had uh, with Alex, who joined the resistance and was on the island all through the war, um, was very, very difficult one because it was trying to um, bring two worlds together that it would have been hard to do in, in Britain, two classes in Britain. You would have, I don't think you'd have been able to do it in Britain, really. But to do it with a Greek woman made it even more impossible. And um, without spoiling the story, that is the huge trial and how love can and cannot work out and what happens uh, at the difficult stages of, of of that sort of relationship. It's like, oh my gosh, love is always trying to find a way to get in the way, isn't it? Always trying to find, but it doesn't always, but, but we try and make it get there. Yeah. Man, um, I can only imagine being in that situation, trying to get over these um, adversities and then also have them to worry about whether my heart is going to break or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, so it, is there betrayal in that in that sense? How are they able to um, with all these things included was um, disease uh, rampant in that time? Yes, you had the uh, leper colony of Spinalonga. So. It, you know, there is part in the family, um, there is some leprosy and that causes a lot of problems before the war, even before the war. Uh, and it brings, it is part of the story that brings the families together because the leper colony, which was used by the Greek government. So anybody in Greece from any part of Greece was shipped off to this little island uh, that is in um, the bay that Alunda overlooks. Um, so you would have lawyers and doctors from Athens there and you'd have children there and peasants from the, the agricultural areas. It was a mix of people and leprosy was a huge thing. And of course, for any other minor things that we have today, there was no medical care really as such. There was probably ladies who were uh, got paid for helping with births and laying out bodies. And, you know, it was very... In fact, even when I got there, there were still ladies, old ladies traveling around on donkeys with their sticks and washing their clothes in the sea. And I am not that old. So, <laughs> so you can imagine back in the uh, early part of last century, there was very little medical care. So that was another adversity that they lived with all the time. That just became even worse under occupation when there was no drugs or no doctors, nobody to help them. I could definitely see the dichotomy in it all with Crete um, serving as this rich background to the story, but also having the other side of the um, of the tracks, if you will. Um, and you're able to merge all this together with the uh, just with the different families. 
Yes, um, it was uh, like uh, a huge tapestry, really. And, um, you know, I did have to keep going back. I think I edited it six times, went back. There was bits that I loved, but I thought, no, it's got to come out, you know, and something else got to go in there to make that work. But yes, I did eventually get all those threads together. Unlock financial security with ever-pure precious metals. Invest wisely in gold, silver, and platinum. Expertly sourced and of highest quality. Whether you're a first-time buyer or a seasoned stacker, they guide you through the market. Adorn yourself with timeless elegance. Subscribe now for exclusive details. Your future awaits. Visit epreciousmetals.com. That is epreciousmetals.com. Discover healing and hope with Grief After Stillbirth, a compassionate course by grief recovery specialist and licensed professional counselor, Nadine Josephs. Navigate the complex emotions of sadness, anger, guilt, and pain after the loss of a child through stillbirth. Visit www.josephscounseling.com to access this invaluable resource offering understanding, comfort, and guidance during this challenging journey. You're not alone. There is hope. So how does that um, influence the characters? Well, they I, I suppose the story puts them through so many different um, problems. So they, they are dealing with an occupation where the army come into their villages, take all their food. And they also have a culture called, they, they call Senia, which is friendship and looking after people who are traveling through and looking after strangers. So the British... The Australians and the New Zealand um, armies were on the island when it was occupied and many stragglers were left behind. So the in the villages, in the mountains, the, the villagers were feeding those people and helping to look after them, trying to feed themselves and then being raided by the occupation armies for their food as well. So hunger was a huge issue for them and, you know, watching children go hungry and starve and uh, the village that they that my characters were in were a lot better off in many ways because they had salt pans and carob trees and they could do use things like that sell the salt buy vegetables go through the villages um but there were times where in those villages people you know were malnourished and and had those issues and they were also at risk when they were hiding either members of the Andate, the resistance, or straggling soldiers who found their way to their village. There were times where they were at great danger because the, the Germans would just um, burn the village, the whole village, and sometimes lock, you know, villages in the church, lock the door and set fire to it. There are some really, you know, awful stories, quite chilling stories of those times. So they lived those years you know, those stories got around the island and they lived those story, those stories really and, and were terrified of what was going to happen next all the time. Um, as the story spans several decades and generations, because it seems like there's a lot going on here, um, yes. what's the message or theme that you hope that the readers will take away from um, from your story? Well, I think the, the richness of the um, theme that I was tapping into in Crete also led me into writing about the, um, I didn't go into the civil war, I mention it because otherwise this book would have been 
going on for the next five years if I'd have gone into that as well. So the following the war, there is a civil war. Uh, the Greeks commonly said, you know, when everybody else has invaded us and we'd fought everybody else, we just decided to fight ourselves then. <laughs> um, and it's a little Greek joke, you know. Mm. And then after that, they uh, had a time where, of the time they call of the colonels, which was a military dictatorship. So that was another time. And I do write about that in the book, uh, simply because by the time I got there, again, there were still arguments in the village I was in about people who had come from Cyprus, which was the end of the colonel's dictatorship, to live in the village and bought a restaurant. And that was deemed to be terrible because their men had been fighting. So there was still a lot of political discussion going on, really, about different things at that time. So I brought the civil war in and how that impacted on that family. And I suppose I was trying to show that, you know, they... It never stopped. It never really stopped until we get to the time of tourism and modern times. And when I say modern times, we're talking probably from the 80s onwards uh, and into the 90s. And things started to modernise and change. And now, you know, Greece is a very modern place and a beautiful destination to go to. Um, but I did want to recognise uh, the things that they had gone through to get there and also um, the their resilience in the Second World War made a huge part, played a huge part in uh, the, we, us managing to win the war against Nazi Germany because they held them up, really. They fought on the Albanian border and they were resilient while occupied and they held the Germans up from invading Russia so that by the time they got there, it was the winter and that was a great advantage to the Allies, to the Allied forces. And I don't think anybody really knows that. So I did want to bring that in uh, and, you know, lead it into the modern day. With all being things being considered, if somebody was interested in going there now, how would they be able to, be able to experience that, that victory in that historical setting? You, there are plenty of uh, places you can go to learn the history. Uh, there, there are so many histories there. Are, there is the Minoan culture, which I think if you are going to go to Crete or Santorini, that is a thing that you, you must have a look at and uh, investigate because it is absolutely fascinating, quite a beautiful civilization. And then the stories of the war, there is a place in the west end of the island called Suda Bay and all the graves of the um, allied forces, the soldiers, and sailors that died there are there uh, in a very beautiful, restful place, just as they are in France with the same stones. And there are villages that you can go to. There is one quite near to Alunda called Kritza, and there are stories there about their sufferings. So the stories and the monuments are all around you. You know, they you don't have to um, search too far to find anything. Man, so excited. I can only imagine um reading this book and actually getting to uh travel those lands mm -hmm. I'm really glad yeah, that course, you uh, there's also spin a longer island which was the leper colony which is still there and some amazing work has been done on that since i very first went there back in the 80s uh they're reconstructing the houses that they lived in it's a fabulous open air museum now and you can just take a, a boat from the shore of placa or lunda and go across and see all that history um, and that is a that is a really lovely thing to do.
Man, what an amazing setting for for this book. I'm gonna go and get my copy of um uh, uh <laughs> the night be starry and 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 set me up some things and and uh, give the, me a flight. The title, the title When Will the Night Be Starry comes from um a song that they sang in the resistance, which they took from a time of occupation. And it is quite a, it, the song is in the book. Uh, it's quite a harsh song, but I wanted to put it in and add it and use it in the title to show the depth of feeling of the human experience of being not free, of feeling not free, of feeling occupied and how tormenting and torturous that is to the human soul. And I think the words of that song portray that. Uh, but I won't say anything more about that because that's uh, a nice thing to get to in the book. All right on. Um, and finally, um, do you have any upcoming projects or themes you're interested in exploring in your future, hopefully your near future in writing? Yes, I'm writing at the moment and I'm writing about um, uh, the issue around, you know, there's been a lot of things in the news recently about the Parthenon marbles, probably better known as the Elgin marbles. Um, writing around the subject of who owns history and how do we display history and where should we display it uh, from my in my context I was thinking about the new museum near the Acropolis in Athens which is again a fabulous place stop off in Athens if you're going to Crete and visit there it's a, a wonderful place to visit overlooking the Acropolis but of course part of the marbles that belong there are in the British Museum and I think there are some in Germany as well and then you know there are, have been so many from things taken from Egypt that are in the British Museum and the Louvre the Louvre has a lots of stuff from Egypt so it's a debate about that but I have again placed it in the Second World War because that is when um, the Greeks did a fabulous job of hiding their antiquities which again, I won't spoil the next book by telling you how and what they did, but that um, the things they did to avoid the theft of their history is a story in itself. So I've worked that into the book and that's, yeah, that's my next project. Yeah, you've already pulled me in. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. have to write it now. <laughs> Man, um, well, I hope that I'm on the list of a, of a receivings <laughs> when, that, when that comes out. I'm, I'd be really interested in hearing the how um, Egypt pulls into Britain, like that's exciting. Um, so with all that being said, uh, we uh, thank you for coming out and talking about your book. Uh, I'm sure everyone is excited to go out and get this. Uh, can you tell us again where we can go and actually buy this book? Uh, you can buy it on Amazon and it is in Kindle form, paperback and hardback. Right. And um. Thank you so much, Katrina, for coming out Thank and talking you, about it and getting us um, all excited to go out and get it. Um, <laughs> okay. And with all that being said, uh, that uh, will conclude our this podcast today. Um, thank you guys for coming Thank out you. and listening to another episode of My Life Now. Um, see you next time. Thank you for listening and supporting another episode of My Life Now. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast show and share it with a friend. Together, we can keep the message of these books alive. Until we turn the next page together, stay classy.